0: Good morning. morning. Oh, not bad. You guys are awake. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Well, guess what today is? (laughs) There's always somebody with logic. I'm glad for that. Hey, it's the opening football season for the NFL, right? Right? We're talking football. You know, I thought about that, and I... I thought, how many of your husbands, ladies, this morning are going to be couch potatoes for the next 16 or 18 weeks, right? Uh, glued to the TV, watching football games, whether it's Saturday or Sunday. You know, I was thinking about that, how thousands of people will be tailgating, thousands, hundreds of thousands, sitting in stadiums as spectators, watching 22 guys kind of duke it out on the field. And... Uh, I thought about that this morning as I studied chapter 2 of Ephesians and how I wonder how many thousands of spectators are sitting in churches this morning, sitting there watching maybe a few folks in the game. The title of the message this morning is called Getting in the Game. That's why we're here. We're not here to be spectators. We're here to get in the game. So Paul talks about this whole issue of what it looks like, number one, to first being able to get on the team, then what it means to get in the game. So let's read Ephesians 2, and it's a lengthy chapter again, but it's so important, I think, to read the entire chapter so you kind of get the whole picture of what Paul's trying to say to us this morning. So let's read together as as I read, follow along, and listen carefully, because like I said last week, sometimes when we start reading Scripture, we just kind of let it go in one ear and out the other. So pay attention to what Paul's trying to say. He says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the Spirit, who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following our desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. So it is by grace you have been saved. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now Paul goes on here in the second part of this chapter to sort of explain this mystery that he's been talking about, this mystery of how God opened up the door to the Gentile people so that everybody could be one in Christ. And so he writes about it here in verse 11, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in the flesh, the law with its commandments and regulations His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through what? The cross. By which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by the Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives in the spirit. Well, that's a mouthful. But let's walk through this this morning and let's kind of use this football metaphor because the first point I want to make is that Before we can really enjoy what it means to get in the game, we got to make the team. we got to make the team. I remember when I was in high school, I was a freshman, and uh, there were 300 guys that went out for freshman basketball in my school. It was a large school. And I thought, man, how in the world am I going to make the team? And they went cut after cut after cut for weeks, and it was finally down to 21 guys, and they only could keep 20. Guess who was number 21? It was me, and I was just brokenhearted. I cried literally on the way home from school that day that they cut me and the last just before the game. And that was so discouraging me because I wanted to make the team. I, wanted, I worked so hard to make the team. Well, this first principle that I want to share with you this morning is that before Christ, we were in no condition to make the team. We were in no condition to make the team. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Do we really get that? I know for many of you, you maybe came to Christ like I did when I was eight years old and then kind of rededicated my life at 19. I look back at my life there and I thought, you know, I was a good kid. I didn't do a whole lot wrong. There was not a big deal for me. And so when Christ came into my life, it was kind of this osmosis thing. And it was something I always grew up with, but I was just as dead as anybody else. Folks, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. You were dead. Do we get that? Honestly, do we really understand that our spiritual life was totally dead without Christ in it? It doesn't matter where you've come from, whether it's the guttermost to the uttermost, or you grew up in a Christian family, we were all dead before Christ. We got to figure that out. See, we couldn't make the team on our own. We were in no condition to make it. And Paul goes on to say that there was reasons why we were dead. And there were these these elements that were causing our death. One of them was, first of all, the course of this age. He talks about it in verse 2. Following the ways of this world is where we were and the ruler of the kingdom of this world who is at work in those who are disobedient. He said there were two partners in this deadness. The one partner was the world. The course of this world, the world system, the cosmos, the things that are being perpetrated by our world system today and the culture that we live in is creating this deadness in people's lives. Do you agree with that? I mean, when you look at the media, you look at television, you look at what's going on in the world around today, and it's just a deadness that's out there in our culture. That's the world system. But who's in control a lot of that world system? He says, the God of this world, who is Satan, so we have these three allies working in our deadness, right? We've got the world, the system of the world, and the way it thinks. We've got Satan who is out there who is propagating all the worldly propaganda. And then thirdly, we've got our own natural cravings, as he talks about, in, in, uh, in later on in verse 3, where he says we are... It's all about our flesh. It's all about our natural desires. In verse 3, he says, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. So we've got the world, we've got the flesh, and we've got the devil all working together to keep us dead. That's where we were at. And because of that, he says in verse 3, at the end of verse 3, that like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. See, in our deadness, we deserved God's wrath, God's judgment. We deserved hell. That's where we were at. And I'm not so sure that a lot of times we really understand that in, in our own intrinsic way. I mean, do you really understand what we deserve before Christ? Do we understand that we were dead no matter where our life was at? Somehow, some way, we've got to figure that out because when we understand our deadness, we can really enjoy much more our lifeness. Does that make sense? I'm not sure we get it. So what he's saying here, no matter what our background or behavior is, we all deserve to be objects of God's wrath. Nobody without Christ is able to escape the pending judgment of God. Scripture says what? For all have sinned and what? Fall short. Every one of us in this room at some point in our lives needed to come to grips with our own sin to say, look, we can't pull this off on our own. We are simply dead. We are spiritually dead. Okay, let's look at the second point. If our condition then was in no way being able to make the team, then what's it going to take to make the team? Well, principle number three or principle number two is is this. Because of our condition without intervention, there would be no way to make the team. In other words, have you ever seen a bunch of dead people on a team? It just doesn't work. But somehow there's got to be somehow an intervention, something that has to take place in our lives to kind of fix the problem, right? And so we need that intervention. And generally when a football player or a baseball player. My son-in-law does this all the time. He works with young uh, professional athletes. They always have an agent to work with, right? And that agent goes to the owner or to the CEO and goes on their behalf to negotiate some type of a contract so that you can be a part of the team and be paid, right? And just like in our spiritual lives, we needed an agent. We needed somebody to sort of negotiate our deadness or our contract, And so what happens here in principle number three, every potential player needs a good agent, somebody who can be an advocate to the front office. So what happened? Most of you know, verse four and five. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you've been saved. So God sent an agent right? He sent us an advocate to fix our dead problem. Okay. So he fixes our dead problem in two ways, being merciful and with his grace. And so when we think about his mercy, it basically saying we didn't get what we deserve. That's what mercy really means. We don't get what we do deserve, but grace says, I'm going to get what I don't deserve. And so God in his rich in his mercy and rich in his grace comes along and says, you know what? That dead person there, I love him so much that I'm going to give my only son to stand in the gap to be his advocate or his agent so that he can be a part of this team called the family of God. So in other words, what happens here is that God sends his son, Christ, to be the change agent. Does that make sense? And as as he comes along and he becomes the change agent, he says in John chapter 14, verse six, he says, look, I am the way. I am the truth, I am the life, and nobody gets to the Father except through me. Not Buddha, not anybody else. There is no other way to get to heaven except through Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. He's our agent. He's our advocate. He's the one that set us up so that we would no longer be dead in our transgressions and sins. He's the only way that we make the team, folks. Because when we look at Ephesians 2.8, we know that it's for by grace that we have been saved. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But let me give you principle number four. In order to make the team, we've got to sign the contract. You get it? We've got to sign the contract. I mean, the agent can do everything he can to negotiate with the, with the owner, right? With the CEO. With the front office. And he can do his best, and he can set up a contract, an agreement. This is what's going to make you a part of the team. This is how you're going to get paid, et cetera, et cetera, right? But until you sign on the dotted line, it isn't going to work. And there's a lot of people out there who somehow in their head sort of believe that the contract is a good contract. They know all about the system and how you have an agent that's out there working for you. But you've never made a decision to sign on the dotted line. And I believe there's people in this room this morning who've never signed on the dotted line. You've never said, okay, I agree with this contract, and by faith I'm going to step into this relationship because of what Jesus did for me as my agent. Have you signed the contract this morning? That's the bottom line. Have you made the agreement? Have you stepped out in faith and said, okay, I get it. I was dead. And I needed some resurrecting going on here. And so I need Jesus in my life to make a difference, to make me alive so that I can be a part of this incredible team called the family of God. When we sign the contract, we need to understand what the terms and conditions are of the contract. You see, there's a lot of people out there who have been explained the gospel in this way. All you need to do is pray this prayer. Just pray this prayer. Be careful with that because there's a lot of implications when we sign the contract. And we're going to get to that in a minute. Because a lot of us have maybe stepped into this thing and and, and there's this whole uh, concept out there today in in the the, the, uh, Christian community or the evangelical world called free grace. And I totally agree with that. It's only by grace we've been saved. But we don't cheapen that grace by just preaching some prayer and then moving along in our lives and living like hell for the rest of our lives because we got our free ticket into heaven. And so there's a lot of people out there who don't understand really what the contract's all about. We're going to get to that in a minute when he says we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. So we need to sign the contract, but we need to know what we're signing. We need to know what we're signing on to. And sometimes we make it so simple that I fear that we don't understand what it means to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. And maybe somewhere along the journey, you kind of sort of think you signed on, but you've really not been a real follower of Jesus Christ. You haven't really fulfilled the terms of the contract because he said, I want you to go and make disciples. I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. Is that going on in your life? So principle number five is this. Once I sign the contract, I do receive all the rights and privileges of the agreement. And we talked about that last week. All those spiritual blessings, once you sign the contract, are yours, every one of them. You're an adopted son. You have a great inheritance. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many mansions. We have heaven to look forward to. We've got all these incredible benefits. Once we sign the contract, it's there, it's written down, and it's guaranteed, as we talked about last week, sealed by the Holy Spirit. Principle number six. Once I'm on the team... It is not my privilege to sit on the bench. When I was in college, again, I had another difficult sports moment, okay? I tried out for the basketball team, and I made the JV team that year in college. But the coach didn't like me very well. And I won't go into that story. I have my own Rudy story, and someday I'll tell that story. But what happened was, because the coach didn't like me along the journey, is I sat on the bench. I sat on the bench the entire year. In fact, uh, it was getting so ridiculous that uh, people were frustrated because we were losing games by 30 and 40 points, and I was still sitting on the bench. And so the guys on the team elected me to go talk to the coach. Not a good idea. So I went to the coach and I said, Coach, how come you're playing the same five guys every night and we're getting ourselves kicked and you're not playing anybody else? And the first thing out of his mouth was, he said, Hey, when I want you to coach this team, I'll ask you, otherwise, keep your mouth shut. It was great to be in a Christian university like that. So for the entire season, I got to play 27 seconds in one game. And it was the last game of the season. And it was so frustrating to sit there all the time and be on the bench. And the coach would say, you know, look, when you're on the bench, make sure your head's still in the game. It's really hard to keep your head in the game when you know you're not going to play. And so over that season, it really got to be a very frustrating thing for me because I wanted to play. I wanted to be in the game. And even though I knew I probably wasn't a starter, but I felt like I could contribute something and I just wanted to be in the game. And it was killing me. And there was a point in time where I wanted to quit. I thought, you know, this is not going to work. You know, the coach doesn't like me. Everybody knew it in the school. It was a small university. And I remember the last day of the season, the last game, the crowd began to chant in the middle of the game, we want Tom. (laughs) I'm going to tell you the story. I got to tell you the story. (laughs) So I'm sitting on the bench where I always was at the very end. And the chanting got louder and louder and louder. And it was about the third quarter and everybody in the school says, we want Tom. And the coach was doing a slow burn down at the other end. I was just loving this. I was just kind of sitting there like, what is he going to do? You know, the whole school is giving him a hard time. And so finally, with about four minutes left in the game, the coach said, Garroshay, get over here. And so I went and sat next to him. He said, do you think you can go in and play forward? Now think about it. Do you see what I look like here? (laughs) He was trying to humiliate me because I'd played guard all year. But he wanted me to go in and play forward. And I thought, you know what, coach? I told him, I don't care where I play. I just want to play. And so he threw me into the game. And in those last three or four minutes, I took down two rebounds, set up two fast breaks, scored three points, and the crowd went berserk. That was my Rudy story. I came out of the locker room. I came out of the locker room and the the fans started to cheer. You should have put him in sooner. You should have put him in sooner. I went to the coach after the game and I said, Coach, I'm thinking about coming out for basketball next year. Is it okay? And he said, No, we've got talent on the team. I don't want you next year. That was a very disappointing thing to me because why? I wanted to play. And my question, Do you want to play? Do you want to play? Are you tired of sitting on the bench? Because if you look at this next point, you say, God designed us to be all. First of all, principle six says, once I'm on the team, it's my privilege not to sit on the bench. He says, for we are God's workmanship in verse nine, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He said, listen, if you're going to be on the team, I want you to play. Nobody has the right to sit on the bench. And he talks about this in a real neat way because he says we're his workmanship. It comes from the word poema. It it, it means that we are his quote of his poem, his poetic masterpiece. And so when he recreated us, when he made us alive in Christ, he created this marvelous person from the inside out to be able to get into this game and be a part of the team to contribute to the kingdom. And what's fascinating to me is we're all too much satisfied. I'm getting passionate again. I'm sorry. We're all too satisfied from Sunday to Sunday to sit and be a spectator. I don't know about you, but I want to play the game. I want to score some points. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? Why are we here if we're going to just sit and be a spectator? That's what I kept asking myself all year long at the basketball team. I said, why am I even bothering playing here? I practice all the time, but I never get to play. Why do I even bother? And yet God said, I've created a first stringer out there, a masterpiece, a poem that I'm writing, and I've got a journey for that person to be on. When are they going to get it and get off their silly rear end and get involved in the game? Wow. Wow. That's why we're here, folks. We're here to play the game. What's great about the sect principle at the end of chapter 2 is that God designed us to be all on the same team. He says, verse 19, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens. You see, up to that point, the Gentiles didn't have a clue. Certainly it was God's uh, will that, that all of men, not just Jews but Gentiles, would know Christ. But the Jewish people failed in that commission. And consequently, Jesus came along and he said, listen, all men need to know Christ and we all then become one. It's no longer this Jew and Gentile or rich or poor. God's not a God of partiality. And so when he came, when Christ came, he decided this is the way we can unify all men. We can all be one. We can all work together. We can all be in the same team. Is that cool or what? And so he was trying to explain this to the Gentiles to say, hey, church, do you get it? This is part of the mystery that that the Jewish people didn't fully understand, but this mystery that God, when Christ came, died for everyone. And it was an opportunity to unify everybody in Christ. So God designed us to be all on the same team. Now, let me go back here this morning and ask some really hard questions for some of you that need to, to respond to this. And I don't know where you're at this morning. I've not met most of you this morning. I love you all. But I do know there's probably somebody sitting here that isn't a part of the team yet. You maybe think you're part of the team. You, you maybe sort of believe in God and you believe that maybe Jesus died for all of men's sin. But you've never signed the contract. You've been contemplating perhaps for years, who knows? Or maybe this is the first time you even you walked into this this room this morning and and you had no idea what God was going to say to you. And this morning you say, you know what? I want to be on that team. I want to know if that I was to die tonight, that I would be able to go straight to heaven and be face-to-face with Jesus Christ. I'm going to be doing a funeral here at three o'clock this afternoon down in Phoenix, as I shared with you last week, a good friend of mine over 30 years. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, it's better for man to die than it is to be born. And I thought, well, that's kind of an odd statement. But no, it's not. Do we really believe it's better for us to die because we know that when we die, we go straight to heaven? Certainly it's better to die than it is to be born. Isn't that cool when you think about it? But do you have that assurance in your life this morning? Do you know Jesus to where if you took your last breath this morning or that tomorrow or that the next breath would be straight in glory with Christ in paradise where he's been preparing a place for us for who knows how long? That's pretty cool stuff. So my question to you, are you on the team? This morning I'm going to give you an opportunity to sign the contract. But for the rest of us, many of us that are sitting here this morning, are you sitting on the bench? We're going to talk a little bit more about that in chapter 4, but are you a spectator? Are you a spectator? God didn't change your life so that you could just have your ticket to heaven and you can just kind of sit here and be a spectator and sit in the bench for the rest of your life. Do you want to get in the game or not? I don't know what that looks like for you. How God's wired you, how God has, has, has molded you or shaped you in your life journey. But by golly, there needs to be a point in time when we say, God, whatever it is, whether it's going to Papua New Guinea or whether it's staying here in Prescott, no matter what it is, I want to be on the team. I want to play in the game. I want to make some buckets. I want to score a touchdown. So are you a part of the team? And it's today of the day you want to sign the contract. If you are on the team, can you say to the Lord, God, whatever it has for me, I don't care how old you are, whether you're retired, whether you've been in the game for a long time, but it's been a long time since you really felt like you've made an incredible contribution to the the team and to the kingdom. And this morning you're saying, you know what, God, I don't want to be a spectator anymore. I don't want to be a couch potato when it comes to your team. I want to get involved. I want to be your workmanship. So whatever that poem that he's writing, you I want to get connected to that. I want to get involved with that journey. God, what do you have for me in my life? So let's stop for a minute. Would you bow your heads with me? God, I'm convinced this morning that there might be somebody sitting here who's not on the team yet. And they need to know that right now they're spiritually dead. They can't see with their spiritual eyes. They need a resurrection. They need a metamorphosis. They need a transformation from the inside out. And God, I'm convinced that there's maybe people sitting here that need to make that decision today to sign a contract. If that's you this morning and God has spoken to you, would you just lift your hand up so I can pray for you? I don't know who you are, but this morning, for the first time in your life, you realize, you know what? I get it. It's not by being a good person. It's not by trying to do better in life. It's about Jesus, bottom line. And I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've screwed up. I know that I'm dead in my trespasses and sin. And there's nothing I can do about it. I need Jesus in my life to be my advocate, to be my agent, so that I know that when I take my last breath on this earth, that I will go straight to paradise and be with him forever. If that's you this morning and you desire that, would you just lift your hand up? Gosh, I'd love to pray for you. Just to encourage you. Anybody? Thank you. Praise God. Is there anybody else that God's speaking to this morning in that regard? There's a lot of you here this morning that if you really are honest with yourself, you know, you've been a spectator a long time. I think about Caleb who said, you know, give me another mountain to climb. He was 80 years old. I don't know what you're role on the team is, but this morning you're feeling like, you know what, God, I I need to to define and and understand what that role is to play on the team because I don't want to be a bench. I don't want to be on the bench. I want to be a part of the team. That's the desire of your heart this morning. Would you just lift your hand up that God's speaking to you about that this morning? Thank you. There's many of you. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I, I come to you this morning. And and God, my heart has been all week long that there might be just one person this morning who would desire to be on the team. And God, uh, as I see a hand go up, I know that all the angels in heaven are rejoicing over just even one person. That's so cool. God, forgive us sometimes for being a spectator you created us for good works. You created us to get off the bench. You created us to be a part of the team so we can all work together. So for those folks who are saying, Lord, I, 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 don't, I don't want to be on the bench. I, I, I want to serve you. I want to figure that out. I want to get that, get that down in my life. I want, to, I want to be a part of the team somewhere. And I feel like I've been sitting on it as a couch potato for a long time. It's time for me to get more involved and building your kingdom. So thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in the hearts and minds of people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, as we sing this last song, I would encourage you, if you've raised your hand this morning, uh, we would have some folks up here that would love to pray with you and to encourage you on your journey. And I know that if you want to get off the bench, that there are Folks on the staff here that would love to talk to you about how you can get involved not only here but in the community, around the world, whatever that looks like. So I encourage you to come down front here and let's pray together, if you will, as we sing this last song. Thanks, Jamie. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.